Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Some councils are auditing schools and urging a ban on the terms boy and girl. For those who are in an open or polyamorous relationship, your relationships are holy. A gay black woman's victim status is less than that of a black trans woman who ranks below a black Muslim trans woman. We don't want to just win the argument about sexuality. We want to use this as a gospel opportunity. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hello and welcome to Wretched. My name is Todd Friel. Please note what you are about to witness will either be brilliant or it will look like a man wearing socks and sandals. Dr. Lutzer is our guest. Today we speak about evangelism and I want to weave a tapestry. This might turn out well. It may end up looking like a Scottish quilt for all I know. It could be a bit of a hash, but I want to synthesize evangelism with your books that have been our focus. I would like to share with you one of your chapters, because your persistent battle cry in all of these books are, don't forget the gospel, don't forget the gospel. So I'm going to share a chapter title. You can talk about it if you'd like, but then I'm going to challenge you to move it into the gospel territory so that we can learn how to use conversations that we're all having these days and turn it into an evangelistic encounter. All right, here we go. One of the subjects is freedom of speech. You think that's a bit of a problem these days. You know, there was a Marxist by the name of Marcuse who had a great deal of influence here in America as well as Europe. And this is what he taught. He said, if we allow freedom of speech, the capitalists will always win the argument. They will take advantage of it. So the only way we can move Marxism forward is to make sure that they do not have freedom of speech. They are the oppressors. And it's time for the oppressed to speak. And that's why in our universities today, so often you find that conservatives are not welcome and they're not even allowed to give their viewpoint because after all, they are the oppressors and they must be quiet. And if some students hear something they don't like, they have to go into a safe place where they can lick the wounds of their unappreciated victimhood. So the whole idea of freedom of speech, I quote someone there, a contemporary writer who says, flat out, we believe in two different standards. It is not right that those who are conservative, those who are capitalistic, those who are the oppressors have a right to speak. It is time for them to sit down and others might speak instead. All right, before you try to segue into how do you parlay that into a gospel witnessing encounter. How is it that human beings can say things like, we can't have freedom of speech because the capitalists always win? It's like, well, why wouldn't they go, well, maybe our ideas are just losers. What drives the willingness to lie? They would say that capitalists are in positions of power. Therefore, they Uh, use power. And the others, the oppressed, don't have that kind of power. So it's their turn to speak. Yeah. So it's Machiavellian, basically. Mm -hmm. We're going to justify our means because of our noble end, which has never worked anywhere. But that's beside the point. So we're chanting about freedom of speech, the ministry of truth, cable news, Google censoring things. That's what you and I are chatting about, but you're a gospel guy. 
How would you talk about freedom of speech and find a way to the gospel? Well, it depends on the situation, you know, as to if you're talking individually, you definitely have an open door. If they have an open mind to hear what you have to say, you listen to them very carefully to find out what they have to say and where they are at, then you can give your point of view. If you are a writer, as some of us are, you're very anxious to make sure that your books are not banned. I have not had a book banned, but I have had a message that was taken off of YouTube because of medical misinformation. Right. But actually, that medical information was misunderstood. I was actually saying something opposite to what the algorithms thought I was saying. Mm -hmm. So there you have a, a different instance. And what we have to do is to ask ourselves whether or not we are willing to speak no matter the consequences. You know what comes to mind while I'm talking about this and even evangelism is Hugh Latimer. You know about him? He was the chaplain to Henry VIII. Now, if you know anything about Henry VIII, he was the man who had a couple of wives beheaded, but not just wives. He had his associates beheaded. He was a very evil man. Can I tell you a quick story about Henry VIII? Before he died, he left a lot of money for masses. Masses were to sit, be said for him until the end of the world. But he also left a lot of money to buy and to build a beautiful sarcophagus over his tomb. So everyone would walk and say, this is where Henry VIII was buried. Now, I led a tour to the sites of the Reformation. You know what my greatest thrill was, was to be in Windsor Castle and walk on the grave of Henry VIII, because when Edward followed him, the money was taken for other purposes, and so you walk over his grave today. But here's the point. Latimer was faced with a question of whether or not he would preach the gospel to the king, and he talks about his struggle, and he said there was a part of him that says, Latimer, you are before King Henry VIII, and you know that if you say the wrong thing, he can have you beheaded. The other part of him said, Latimer, you are preaching before the King of kings and Lord of lords. To whom are you going to be faithful? And thankfully, Latimer was faithful to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, he wasn't beheaded, but Bloody Mary beheaded him. Fascinating story. But here's the point. When we talk about freedom of speech, we have to ask ourselves, to whom are we accountable? Are we accountable to this world or are we accountable to the King of Kings? Now, that doesn't mean that we just barge in and take advantage of any situation. And of course, there may be opportunities that we are denied because we are Christians. But we take those opportunities that do come to us whether or not it has to do with government or things that we write or things that we speak about. And we use those opportunities to speak words of kindness, of help, encouragement, and especially words about Jesus when we have the opportunity. And if you would like to see heroic examples of that, another book, 
Fox's Book of Martyrs, it actually has the transcription of some of the words that were uttered by our forerunners who were killed for the gospel. In these books, sir, you talk about some of the greats who have gone before us, who were willing to or be burned alive for the sake of preaching the gospel. To remind us that as Christians, we just might be called to pay a price. And yet, we need to be willing to pay that price because of the gospel. So share with us some of the tales from England under the reign of Bloody Mary so that the rest of us can perhaps find the courage to be faithful too. And I want to mention before I go there that in Nazi Germany, there was a pastor who said this, the time has come when the gospel can no longer be preached just in words. We need a new alphabet and that alphabet for the gospel is suffering. Mm. So to your question, Bloody Mary comes to the throne. She wants to reverse the gains that Protestantism made. And so she has about 250 Protestants beheaded or burned at the stake. There were three that she wanted especially. One was Cranmer, who had been the Archbishop of Canterbury under, under uh, Henry. And the reason she wanted him is Cranmer had negotiated the divorce between Henry VIII and her mother, Catherine of Aragon. Okay? So she wanted Cranmer, but also Hugh Latimer, a preacher of the gospel, and then Ridley, who was the Bishop of London. Now, it all happened in Oxford because that was the seat of learning, and she wanted the big uh, crowd there for this. Ridley and Latimer were burned at the stake. And today in Oxford, you can go to the actual place mm. right there on the street. Of course, cars drive there, but there is a spot where the fire happened. Mm -hmm. Cranmer mm. is a fascinating story. He was well, wait, 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 before you get to them, it's one of the greatest lines in church yeah. history with right. Ridley and Latimer. Today, play the man we are today lighting in England a fire that will not go out. That's gold. And that really, we should remember those words. Yeah, yeah. And that was a fire that didn't go out as one martyr encouraged the other. If, if I might, before you get to Cranmer, my understanding of the progression of how Mary went about the business of killing people, initially when she would set somebody on fire, she just set them on fire. But in an act of mercy, sometimes she'd have gunpowder put around their necks so that mm -hmm. they'd blow up and die quicker. But then the problem was all of these Protestants with a large crowd gathered would preach the gospel and people were getting saved. And so they would execute them. For instance, William Tyndale was strangled to death before he was burned at the stake and blown up to stop the preaching of the gospel. A story about a Goose, who was indeed cooked for the sake of the gospel, next on Wretched. You're familiar with this sound. You're sitting in church. Your pastor is preaching. You have your John MacArthur Study Bible open. The pastor is reading the scripture, and all of a sudden you hear everybody in church turning the page because they all have the same MacArthur Study Bible. Why? Because it is so helpful to be able to read study notes underneath the verses to really grasp what God's Word is trying to teach. How would you 
like to share the joy of putting a John MacArthur Study Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines, they typically make about $12 to $15 per, not hour, per day. It's a luxury item, and it would be such a blessing, $25 a Bible, four Bibles, $100, or perhaps you could send a Bible to a brother or sister in the Philippines every single month. Would you please consider doing that to bring joy to our brothers and sisters? Wretched.org slash Bible. So you turn on the TV right now, and if it is not a commercial for some kind of weird medication, it's a commercial for somebody's Christmas sale. And boy, are those annoying. So you have my word that this won't be quite as annoying. Rather, this will be helpful information. That right now in the Wretched store, most Wretched products are 50% off. Plus, if you spend $50 or more, we're going to send you a free copy of Transform Season 1 while supplies last. And we're going to send all of it to you free because shipping is also free when you spend $50 or more in the Wretched store. All right, so let me recap that. 50% off most Wretched products in the Wretched store. You spend $50 or more, you get a free copy of Transform Season 1 plus free shipping. See? Helpful information. That wasn't annoying at all. The Wretched 5050 sale is happening right now till year's end at wretched.org slash sale. Two. That's right, 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel, they're getting saved, their parents are getting saved, the church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local church it became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1611. The authorized or King James translation of the Bible in the English language is published. Fifty-four scholars worked for four years on the project. The King James Version became the Bible of choice in the English-speaking world for over 400 years. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched. I love to tell the old, old story of a goose. Fine, as much as I like telling the story of Jan Hus, I'll let you do it. I love this story. But before we leave Ridley and Latimer, (laughs) Latimer burned very quickly in the fire, but Ridley didn't. Right. Can you imagine having a fire go no. up your pants? No. And no. just keeps going and no. going and going. And Ridley began to scream and to holler, you know, I need more fire so that he would be burned. I mean, he was tortured to uh, death hey. with a slow burn. Yep. Cranmer, who had been the Archbishop of Canterbury under uh, Henry, fascinating story, was a Protestant, really. Why that happened, 
we just don't have time unless you invite me back and we do a thing on <laughs> church history, okay? Yes. But Bloody Mary wanted him dead because he had negotiated the divorce. Cranmer was to watch his two friends burn. He was taken to a place in Oxford, and they actually show it to you, and they say he was in this building. The fire took place here. Mm. Under pressure, Cranmer denied the faith. He wrote six documents saying, in effect, and of course I'm paraphrasing, that my conversion to Protestantism was wrong, mm. the Pope is right, I misread the situation, etc., etc. Now, they get how, however, she wanted him to die anyway because she was so angry because of the divorce, okay? When you go to St. Mary's Church today, you actually see what is known as Cranmer's Pillar. There's a place chiseled out where they had put a platform. Can you imagine 1,500 years ago where Cranmer could speak to the crowd? It was full, of course, of very devoted Catholics, and he was to once again prove or to say that he had been wrong in becoming a Protestant and he was dying within the Catholic faith. And then he stood up there and said, in effect, I recanted because of fear. I now recant my recantation. I die as a Protestant in the Protestant faith with my faith in Jesus Christ. The crowd became angry as they dragged him out to where he was to be burned. You know, there were all kinds of things happening. You know, the crowd is following. They're angry. They're still trying to convince him to recant his new recantation. And this is in Fox's Book of Martyrs. He puts his hand in the fire until it becomes a cinder and keeps saying, let the hand that wrote the initial recantation be the first to burn. And he died saying, this hand, this hand, this hand. In the end, he became a martyr for the Protestant faith. But in between, some hiccups. Yeah. But, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, this happens to be also one of your favorite actual historical tales that should encourage us to stand firm. It's the story of Jan Hus. And it goes back to the 1400s. Mm -hmm. Hus, whose name in the Czech language means goose, was preaching the gospel in Prague in Bethlehem Chapel. You can go to Bethlehem Chapel today. It's been rebuilt since Hus's time. But that's where he was preaching the gospel. Word got to the Pope. You know, but wait, before you keep going, is this a, because it's been rebuilt? I once read that in the back of Hus's chapel where he preached, on the one side of the, of the entry, there was a picture of the Pope and all of his finery on a white stallion with jewelry. And on the other side was a picture of Jesus lowly seated on a donkey. Is that true or did I just read some fiction? Uh, you know, I can't answer that. that this is true. all news We to are me. just going to make it true. We're going to make it true. Well, whatever we say is true. <laughs> well, no, we have to put it on social media. Okay, then it's, then it's true. true. Right. Right. Okay, so sorry. So, okay, the goose is in, in the chapel. Yeah, and um, he's invited to go to the Council of Constance because they want to triumph for heresy. And he was guaranteed safe passage. In other words, they said, Hus, you can go from Prague, you can go to Constance, Germany, and you can go back. 
The emperor guaranteed that. With his fingers crossed. I'm sure with his fingers crossed. <laughs> now, when Hus got there, and by the way, when he went through Germany and so forth, crowds met him. He oh, was a hero. Yeah. He goes to Constance. The emperor decides he doesn't have to keep his word to a heretic. And they mm. put a crown on Hus's head that says, we commit your soul to the devil. Mind you, he was in prison for quite some time. You know, with uh, very little water and food, they wanted to, to break the him down. Toilet system. I mean, it yeah. was ugh. yeah, it was really bad. But Huss wrote some beautiful letters from there, by the way, encouraging believers back in Prague. Mm. But anyway, when he was taken to the stake to be burned, as I've already emphasized, his name Huss means goose. You also mentioned. And uh, he said these words, you can cook this goose, but in a hundred years, a swan will arise and him you will not silence. So Huss is burned at the stake. 102 years later, Luther nails his 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg. And Luther expressly stated that he was the fulfillment of Huss's prophecy. And that's why it is that throughout Germany, I've been in the room, for example, where Luther was born, the room in which Luther died, you always have a swan. Mm. It became a symbol of the Protestant Reformation. You can cook this goose, but in a hundred years, a swan will arise. And to this day, we still use the expression, don't we? They cooked his goose. Mm going back more than 500 years, 600 years, actually. You tell the story better than I do, so I'm glad I gave it up. <laughs> have you ever been to the stake where Jan Hus was burned? I have seen the big rock where apparently yeah. he was burned. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yes, sir. It's not very, it's almost like the cemetery of John Knox, <laughs> you know, basically <laughs> covered in pavement. But I met with the fellow who was the president of the Hus Association. His name was Kali Vota. First of all, the president of the Hus Society wasn't a Christian. That detail aside, I asked him the question, do we have any idea how long it took for Jan Hus to perish in the flames? And he said, based on the transcriptions that were taken when he was being burned alive, because they would write we're going to hear something great from that. They actually had transcriptions. They think it was about eight minutes that he was at least able to preach and to speak to people before the flames consumed him. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. And of course, <laughs> he said what martyrs almost always said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. But before we go to break, you mentioned the grave of John Knox. Yeah. You know where it is? Have you seen it? It's a parking lot. On the parking lot, number car number 23. <laughs> if you ask, where's his grave? They say, go to the parking lot. You know, it's paved over, but it's car number 23. And that's where John Huss is. And that perhaps is a symbol <laughs> of the exactly what I was going to say. In, in, in Scotland, at least, if you want to know the state of theological <laughs> affairs in Scotland, go, go to, to spot 23. Walk. All right. Oh, yeah. Dr. Lutzer, in Europe, when we go back and we look at the great forerunners of Protestantism and we see their heroism, and yet their nations are anything but Christian these days, 
How would you encourage us to look back at the suffering of those saints to encourage us to work toward not seeing the same effect that we saw in Europe? Boy, that's a big question. I can't answer that in a couple of minutes. What we have to identify is to ask ourselves, why did this happen? It happened intellectually. It happened nationally. There were all kinds of reasons. But here's the bottom line for us. Suffering gives us a new platform to witness for Christ. The Bible says that to this you were called. When Saul was converted on the way to Damascus, Mm -hmm. the Lord says to Ananias, tell him what things he must suffer for my name's sake. So here's Paul in prison, and he's chained to guards, and he says, I'm chained, but the word of God isn't. And what is he doing? He is witnessing to those guards. In other words, he never said to the church, pray that I'll get out of here, though that wouldn't be bad if we prayed that he, he and other believers would get out and our believers in our day. But he saw every opportunity, even persecution, as a new platform to witness for the gospel. So in closing, How should we view suffering in light of the sharing of the gospel? Well, let's go back to Niemöller. And when he was preaching, he said these words in Nazi Germany. He says, Satan has been allowed by God to sift the saints so that it might be determined what is chaff and what is wheat. So we have to look at the suffering that is coming to see a split within the church. Are we wheat or are we chaff? Mm. And we have to look at it optimistically and look at it as an opportunity to recognize God's hand that we might be wheat and not chaff. We will continue with our very special guest, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, next on Wretched. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, a social media spat over the removal of a Christmas tree from a Massachusetts library has led to what officials have called threats and bullying and an LGBT activist stepping down from her position in a human rights group because she's the one that posted the threats and the bullying. It all started when an employee of the particular library, which is located about 20 miles from Boston, revealed the decision by the library not to display a tree this year. The supervisor wrote that the decision was made because some people were, quote, made uncomfortable last year looking at it. A few days later, after that initial post, Diane Lau, the LGBT activist we mentioned earlier, responded and accused the library supervisor of putting people's lives in a lot of danger by revealing the library's decision about the Christmas tree. Yeah, so whose life was put in danger? Well, despite critical acclaim and the support of some big name stars, Jordan E. Cooper's Broadway production is closing less than three weeks after its opening day. The woke comedic play follows a slate of characters, some of whom are drag queens and part of the first wave of black Americans given free passage to Africa by the U.S. government as part of a package for slavery reparations. Slavery, reparations, and drag queens, they tried to fit absolutely everything into this play. Wonder why it only lasted three weeks. The European Parliament has displayed a nativity scene this year for the first time in its history after its former president deemed it could offend non-Christians. Isabel Benjumia, who was elected as a member of the European Parliament in 2019, 
received support for the displaying of the nativity scene this year from Roberta Mazzola, who was elected president in January. The Central Bank of Nigeria announced last week that it is capping daily ATM withdrawals at 20,000 Naria, which is about $45, to encourage digital banking options. And weekly over-the-counter withdrawals have been capped at $225 for individuals and $1,124 for corporations. And that may be in Nigeria at the moment, but do not think it's far behind in the United States. Full-scale pilot testing is taking place even now. A South Carolina woman has been accused of burglarizing four churches and taking her child when she broke into the buildings. I guess she needed some more hands. Leslie Reese, age 42, has been arrested and she faces four counts of third-degree burglary and one count of unlawful conduct towards a child. Authorities have been looking for Reese after she was caught on security footage of one of the churches. And the reports that I've seen have not indicated the age of Reese's child, and it also doesn't indicate exactly what was stolen from the churches. But I do think I feel safe in assuming that it was money. More Regent Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Luke was a physician and companion of Paul, who wrote an orderly account of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He meticulously details names, places, and events. Luke shows great concern for people of every class, especially overlooked or undesirable people. We are all from various places and classes, but Jesus Christ is the Savior for all mankind. This is Wretched Radio with Talk Frio. Welcome back to Wretched. If you've ever pondered what exactly is the gift of evangelism, methinks our special guest has that gift. Dr. Lutzer, thank you for being with us as we continue to talk about the necessity for all of us to preach the gospel. But to kick it off, I am going to share a secret about you. So Dr. Lutzer and I, after church on Sunday, went out for lunch. He beat me to the table. Before I could get there, you had engaged Derek, the person who was going to wait on us. You were already talking to him about Jesus forgives sinners. (laughs) Do you do that everywhere you go? I try to. You know, when I'm in a restaurant, for example, even in Europe, where, you know, belief in God is certainly not uh, popular at all, I would say to a waiter or a waitress, God bless you. And then I say, and you do believe in God, don't you? There it is. You're there. Well, you know, I'm not sure, yada, yada. And then I tell them, in the next 30 or next 60 seconds, I'm going to tell you the best news that you have ever heard in your life. And in 60 seconds, or maybe 90 seconds, I tell them that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And what they need to do is to recognize. And then I say, you may not think you need Jesus, but when you're overwhelmed with guilt and fear of death, remember it's Jesus you're looking for because he died for us and his death is a sacrifice. And what you have to do is to admit your helplessness, your sin, your sinfulness, and transfer your trust to him. And I would leave that witness oftentimes with a tract or something like that, because here's, here's the exciting thing. Jesus told a parable in which he said that a sower went forth to sow, 
and he sowed seed, and then he slept well, and the seed grew, and he said he understood not how it grew. I'm paraphrasing, of course. We have no idea how the Word of God sown into somebody's heart might come back to him. Now, back in the days when you used to talk to people on the plane, nowadays because of COVID, even though COVID has passed, we no longer talk because people are all listening to their devices. I used to engage almost everyone I sat next to. I can give you a number of examples, but here's one. Here's a very self-righteous lady, and uh, she says to me, one thing is sure, I know that hell doesn't exist. And I said, really? (laughs) I said, how would you know that? Did God reveal this to you? I mean, you know, how, how in the world could you know that hell doesn't exist? Well, that's my view. I said, my, you get 12 people together, you get 15 views. I said, you know, Jesus spoke about hell 10 or 11 times, and I don't want to offend you, but I'm going with Jesus on this one. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you one other story, and it always seems as if I'm talking uh, to women, but of course I also talk to men all the time. But I remember there was one woman who was very self-righteous. You could just tell that she oozed. I said, would you consider yourself ungodly? No, I'm not ungodly. I said, you know, I feel so sorry for you because I said, then you can't take advantage of what Jesus did for us because the Bible says he died for the ungodly. So if you're not ungodly, you can't accept what Jesus did. What we have to do is to plant those seeds that we believe eventually will bear fruit. And I tell people, someday you're going to be overcome with guilt, and you won't know where to park your guilt or your fear, and Jesus is the answer to that issue. And so we help them in their journey. Right. Now, at what age can I say to somebody, without them punching me in the nose, I feel sorry for you. How do you get away with saying something like that? Because if I said something like that, they would just get mad and storm away, even on an airplane. Well, they wouldn't storm too far off. <laughs> there are limitations of what you can do on a plane. Okay, but but in a sense, because I've been with you when you engage people, and I've watched you, and it's winsome, it's pastoral, it, it is not argumentative in nature. Ray Comfort has that gift too. In our postmodern world, Ray Comfort can ask somebody a question in an evangelistic encounter and they'll give a wrong answer and he'll say, well, no. And then he'll explain the right answer. Saying, well, no, you're wrong is one of the most offensive things you can say these days. But because of the way he says it, it does not come across like he's antagonistic. And you do that too. And frankly, it agitates me. Well, I use a question and there are many questions you can ask. Don't ask somebody if they're a Christian because they have no idea what Christianity is or they'll say yes and they have no idea what they're talking about. I often ask them this, tell me, where are you on your spiritual journey? Sure. And then they begin to say, well, I was brought up in the church, but I left the church, yada, yada, or 
I have no faith or I do this. And then you keep asking questions. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon the questions reveal the hollowness and the emptiness of their own life and of their own viewpoint. And uh, then there are open doors for the gospel. See, now this is where I can tell. You're not from these parts. I can tell you're from above the Mason-Dixon line because you say, don't ask somebody if they're a Christian. And I, I actually think there are better questions than that because everybody in the South has been born again statistically 7.3 times. <laughs> but because you cannot swing a dead cat without hitting a little Baptist church here, I like to ask the question, did you go to church as a kid? And that opens, because most people will at least go, yeah, cool, what did they teach you there? And then you're off to the races. Yeah. So in the Bible Belt, where it's still a veneer of Christianity, you can get away with that. I think one of the smartest ways we can start to engage somebody isn't by simply saying, did you know that God has a wonderful plan for your life or whatever it is? Asking questions yeah. and actually listening, I have found to be the most effective way to communicate the gospel with people these days. What are some of the questions that you would, with a complete stranger, ask them to talk about spiritual things? Before I give you some of those questions, let's remind ourselves that Jesus in the gospel, if you count them, he asked more than 100 questions. Mm. Jesus questioned people all the time, and sometimes his questions just left them speechless and he walked away. You know, David's son, whose son is he? And so forth. And he would make them think, and he drew out from them where they were at, or their mouths were closed, and they weren't able to answer. So there are many different questions. One can be, if you're talking to an adult, how much adult consideration have you given to the Bible? Or another one, who to you is Jesus Christ. What do you think of Jesus? You've heard about him. What is your opinion of him? Or as I mentioned, where are you on your spiritual journey? Now, I want to say this, Todd, that if we are open to God, it's amazing the direction that he will lead us and the doors that will open to us. But we always have to be compassionate. Has anybody, when you've tried to engage them on yeah. this level, and I suspect it's hundreds, maybe thousands of folks, uh, whatever preacher, I'm not interested. Did they ever just shut you down that aggressively? Maybe, maybe. I remember talking to a man who clearly was disinterested. And when he, I warned him that when he stood before God, he wasn't going to have much to say, but he said, I said, if you stand on your own record before God, you're going to be in deep trouble because all of our works are tainted with sin and God demands absolute righteousness to enter into heaven. And he just said, I'm going to be fine. Thank mm -hmm. you very much. Well, that's all that you can do. Right. You know, you can't pry into a person's heart and see what's really going on there. So, um, let me, let, me, let me interrupt just for the sake of, of yeah. releasing us from thinking, no, I've got to get everything out. I've got to speak every truth that I know that they might get saved. No, that is absolutely our goal. 
And we shouldn't just let ourselves off the hook because it's getting a little bit tricky. But there are indeed some times when you just have to say, well, look at Jesus. He told the disciples, you know, if a person doesn't receive you, you know, shake the dust off your feet. If they won't welcome you into their homes in those days, that was done. And so you move on because you realize that, uh, you know, the Chinese have a proverb that no matter how long you cook sand, it never becomes rice. Mm -hmm. And the point being made that if somebody is really closed, there isn't much that you can do. We will continue with our very special guest, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, Moody Church, Chicago, Illinois, next on Wretched. Have you taken the opportunity to jump on the road trip to truth for season three? Because if you haven't, you are missing out on a wealth of information. It's a valuable resource for you, your kids, and your church. Available now in the Wretched store at wretched.org. Oh, and while you're there at wretched.org, make sure you make some time to jump on over to our donate page and check out all the information on becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at wretched.org slash donate. Hey, isn't this groovy? Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an incendiary device. A preborn clinic in Miami vandalized and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet, the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like Preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today, offering free, loving, Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the literal battle for life preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched hey thank you for listening to wretched radio today obviously this is radio but what do you know about wretched tv wretched tv is also hosted by todd and it's aired on over 135 christian tv networks you can also find it on streaming services like roku amazon fire tv american gospel tv answers in genesis tv or the always trustworthy wretched.org and also head over to wretched.org click the donate page and look at how you might become a wretched gospel partner wretched tv wretched radio or any of the productions of gospel partners media would not be possible without our gospel partners and as a matter of fact right now is the perfect time for you to become a wretched gospel partner thanks to some very generous gospel partners now through the end of the year every dollar that's donated will be matched so you can literally double the impact of your gift to wretched get all of the details and information at wretched.org slash donate wretched amazing grace amazing gospel how's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home would you please visit metashare.com slash wretched affordable biblical health sharing christians paying for other christians medical bills which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff second of all you can save on average 500 dollars per month and finally metashare it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years 
it works. And the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Mexico. There are many words to help us understand the nature of the Bible. Words like inerrancy. The Bible is the word of God, and God cannot err. Therefore, the Bible is without error. We know that God has revealed himself truthfully in the pages of Scripture. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Welcome back to Wretched. Dr. Lutzer, thank you for being with us for a long series of conversations focusing now on evangelism. How now shall we ask thoughtful questions that bring us right into the bullseye of a witness encounter? Throughout the years, what I've tried to do is to listen to people, to listen to their hearts, and to share the gospel. But here's the thing, Todd. We can't assume people know the gospel or believe it just because they come to church. Mm -hmm. And while I'm on the topic of conversion, parents need to understand that they cannot convert their child. God is in the converting business. Now, what we do is we pray for them, we give them the gospel, we give them every opportunity, but it is God who gives life to the dead, and that is to the spiritually dead. So we have to trust God. So I don't have to ever talk to my kids about spiritual things? Is that what you just said? Oh, no, of course not. You have to instruct them. You have to talk to them about spiritual things. They have to understand the gospel. So the Holy Spirit of God has content through which he's going to work. Now, let's take the words of Jesus, okay? When the Spirit is come to you, he will convict the world through for sin and righteousness and judgment. But notice, Todd, the Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum. It's not as if people are walking down the street and then the Spirit suddenly captures them, though God can do that if he wishes. He converted Saul very quickly on the way to Damascus. But what Jesus is saying is, when the Spirit has come to you through you, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So we give our children every opportunity to believe. I'm so glad that we have three daughters, all of whom have savingly believed. They've married Christian husbands. And so we're very thankful for that. But it's not something that parents can do, but they make the gospel available and they teach their children, catechize them so that they can move on. Would you like to know one of the, because there are many, worst mistakes that I made as a Christian father with my kids, and this will maybe resonate with you as a pastor of a local church, because that's ultimately what you are. You're on radio, you write books, but you're a pastor at heart. When we were looking for a good church, when we lived in a, in a region where you you couldn't find a very good church, so we'd go and check out churches. This was before internet days when you could avail yourself of sermons, etc. And we'd go to one silly service after another. And on the way home, 
because I have the gift of being judgmental, would basically trash what we had just experienced. That was a big error. Maybe my critiques were rightly aimed, but when I gave my kids the impression that I'm the consumer and that churches, they can be critiqued at will like firing a machine gun, I think I undermined something important. In my first church, there was a man who was a doctor, and uh, his children said, you know, we don't think that dad is a Christian. Now, he came to church every Sunday and heard me preach the gospel. (laughs) But he's in the hospital, and he has cancer, and I go visit him, and I ask him, do you have the assurance of eternal life? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? And I'll never forget his answer. I don't know how. Mm. I don't know how, and you've been listening to me preach Mm -hmm. every Sunday morning? Haven't I explained how? So I helped him to see his necessity to turn from his sins to Christ. He immediately believed. I prayed with him. After that, before he died, his relatives said, He always wanted the Bible to be Mm -hmm. read to him. There was a transformation of heart. But here's the thing that's very scary. Just because you go to church, even a good church, and you hear the gospel, we should not take for granted that people have believed on Christ. Similarly, I was in Texas somewhere. It's kind of a big place. And I was preaching and must have talked rather extensively about repentance, the need to turn from our sins, not in perfection, but in a new direction, and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget this. It's funny how many Christians you meet and get to preach to, but sometimes you remember so vividly, this man was rather dapper. He was about 70-ish, and he walked toward me when the service was done, sobbing and visibly shaking. And he said, this was a man who had gone to church his whole life. He said, nobody has ever told me I need to repent. And that was the thing that God used to help him understand that we must humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, that we must have an attitude of, I don't want those things anymore. I want Jesus instead. And he'd been going to church his entire, so seven decades of sitting in church, that is when the Lord saved him. Because not everybody who is in church is actually a Christian. You know, I don't have an answer for this, but when I was growing up on the farm in Canada, when I was 12 or 14, I had deep conviction of sin. Mm -hmm. Now, if you compare my lifestyle at that time with the lifestyle of other teenagers, Long before the days of the internet, we had an old radio that worked intermittently. (laughs) That was our extended technology. Where did that conviction of sin come from? It was because I was brought up in a Christian home with godly parents. But it was that that led me to Christ. My mother said to me, we think it's time you accepted Jesus. I said, well, as a child, You know, I said, I've asked Jesus to come into my heart, but it doesn't work. 
She said, you must receive him by faith. So we went into the room of the old farmhouse. Fifty years later, by the way, I was in that farmhouse and saw that room, took a picture of it. I went to the room of that farmhouse, and we all knelt down. And that night I received Christ by faith, and the next day I knew that I knew God. But here's the point. There are so many people who believe in Jesus without really being aware of their sinfulness. They are vaguely aware. And that makes me wonder why it is that later on they may fall away. We need to emphasize that prayer doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves people. And if there isn't a genuine transfer of trust, a turning away from sin and trusting Jesus, salvation has not occurred just because you've said a prayer. And people need to be instructed that it is possible to think that you are a Christian because you've prayed a prayer, but the prayer does not save. Right. Now, some people would go, wait a second, don't you have to pray to get saved? Well, technically, no, but yeah. we do call out of to course. God. But your point is right. that isn't the thing that saved you. Yeah, that's my point. It's not your words. It's Jesus who saves, which actually brings us back full circle to parents that they are let off the hook that they cannot save their children. All they can do is faithfully proclaim, use the law, preach the gospel, talk about repentance and faith, the resurrection from the dead, teach them all the Christian verities. But when you go to bed at night, if you're still living with a prodigal, you can sleep well because salvation is of the Lord. Dr. Lutzer, you said in an airplane, in 60 seconds, you can get the job done. To that camera right there, go. All right. I want to explain that all of us are sinners. Everything that we do is tainted, and God cannot accept our righteousness. And you have to be as perfect as God to get into heaven. If you're not perfect, don't even think you're going to make it. Now, that means all of us are in trouble. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and was raised and made a sacrifice for sin, that if we turn from our sin and put our faith in him alone, we are saved on the basis of his righteousness, which is credited to us on the basis of his merit and not our own. What I want you to do right now is to admit your sinfulness to Christ and receive him as your savior. He's the only one qualified to save you from your sins. Okay, can I do that now? Oh, wait, I'm already safe, but thank you for that. And I echo it. If you've never repented, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>